Hallelujah. Well, how are you doing today? Are you more than conquerors? Are you overcomers? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, that's what I want to talk to you this morning about. going to remind you that we're overcomers. I, I woke up um, early in the morning, like 2 or so. And I heard this little song that we sang in the Philippines. Actually, the Filipinos taught it to us. It's good to remember the goodness of God. Remember that song? We used to sing it a lot. It is good to remember the goodness of God. He healed my body. He saved my soul. It's good to remember the goodness of God. Well, I think today that I want to put you in remembrance of the goodness of God. Because sometimes circumstances, sometimes things speak loud that are not of God. But, but we, they get our attention. And if we're not careful, we'll focus on that instead of focusing on the Lord and focusing on the Word and focusing on our victory. And God says, put me in remembrance. And God says, build a memorial. God was big into memorials, you know. He was big into memorials. And so today, we're going to set up a memorial. A memorial to say who we are in Christ, what God's plan for us is, and how that we are not going backwards. You know, why in the world would you want to go back? You know, I remember the Israelites, they came out of Egypt. Now, they had been slaves for 400 years. 400 years, and in 400 years, how many generations do you think that is? That's about 10 generations if you count 40 being a generation, which is how they normally do it. So let's say 10 generations of people had lived under bondage. So I suspect, wouldn't you suspect that from the beginning, there were certain, like the first maybe three or four generations, they talked about God, they talked about what God did. But don't you think by the time there'd been ten generations, you know how uh, you know how it is with uh, duplicating things. If you duplicate, uh, well, we don't do it this way anymore because we're now digital. But back in the old days, <laughs> when we would take a cassette tape and we would duplicate, we'd take the master and we'd duplicate it. We'd have a copy of that tape. Now, if we took that copy and we duplicated it to another one there would be a degeneration from the master amen because you'd have to you always needed to duplicate from the master because anytime you didn't you would lose quality well that's how it is in the in the in our lives if we don't keep remembering the goodness of god if we don't keep reminding each other then we lose things so the israelites they were captive in egypt for 400 years And then God said to Moses, you go, you tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, we don't even know if people wanted to go. Sometimes people don't know they're bound. They're just so used to being there. You know, it's sort of like a dog that, well, let's say an elephant. How do they train these elephants, uh, you know, to... They're on these little chains. An elephant can break that chain in nobody's business, right? They, that's not, that chain is not keeping that elephant. But how do they train that elephant? These are elephants for like in the circus. They start when that's a baby elephant. And they chain that baby elephant to a post. And that baby elephant tries to get out. He tries and he tries, but he can't. And so as he grows, they keep that chain on him. And he gets to thinking, I can't get out. So when he's a big elephant, they can put that same chain on that he could break in a moment. But he doesn't break it. Why? Because he's convinced, I can't. Well, Satan comes to tell us the same thing. He starts small and we think, well, you know, I I can't do that. And then... You grow in faith, but you still remember how you failed at that thing. Or, You know, I remember when I tried to do that, and boy, that didn't work. And he convinces you, you can't do that. Yet you've grown in faith, you can do that. But until you get a hold of it and understand, I can. 
I'm not who I used to be. You know, when you maybe before you got saved and maybe even after you got saved, there were some things that you knew you needed to not do anymore, whatever that was. You know, everybody has things that you're, you know, you don't, you know God's not pleased with and you're trying to quit, you know. Some people want to quit things before they get saved. You know, I had family members. It's like, well, you know, I'm going to do this and this and this, and then I'll, then I'll become a Christian. Well, that's the hard way. It's better to do it with Jesus, amen? But now, you know, maybe you have quit something, you've been free from it, and then one day you just did it again. Well, now the enemy will come and say, see, you, you're still addicted, or see, you're still doing that, see, you're not free from that. And instead of you saying, oh, yes, I am, and asking God to forgive you and taking that blood and washing that, then you, you start thinking, well, maybe I'm not. And if you go down that road, you will become bondage to that again. You'll become under, under bondage. So the people of Israel, they were under bondage for 400 years, and God said, Moses, you go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. So he did. You know the story? There was, they had to, he had to prove he was from God. And, and Pharaoh had his magicians, and God had Moses and Aaron. And so, praise the Lord, finally the day came, you know, when, when the Passover came, when, when the angel of death came through and killed the firstborn of all the animals, all the people. It was a terrible time. But because the people of God had put the blood, they had sprinkled the blood over the doorposts and the lintels, then, then the angel of death passed over because of blood. Blood bought. Redeemed. So Moses let them out. Led them in. God wanted them to go into the promised land. It was about 11 days journey, 14 days at the most. Took them 40 years. <laughs> Why? Because they still didn't see that they were under bondage. They were always wanting to go back. Why'd you bring... They'd say to Moses stupid things like, why'd you bring us out here to die? Moses, I'm sure his idea was, I didn't even want to come. I was having a great time on the other side of the desert. and Me and, me and my family, we were just having a great time. And God said, I had to come and set you free. This wasn't my idea, so get off my case. Now, we don't read that he said that. I just think, man, he didn't even want to do that, and he did it for God. And yet they're still like, why would you do this? Or they would say, they would forget that they were slaves, and they'd go, oh, if we could only have the leeks and the garlics. God was feeding them manna from heaven. God was feeding them supernatural food. Coming down from heaven. And it just wasn't good enough because they kind of liked the leeks and the garlics. Do they remember that they didn't have enough to eat for 400 years? Do they remember that they were slaves? No, no. You know, people, sometimes they, they forget. And they start talking about the good old days. You know, people my age, sometimes we, we hear these oldie songs and we remember our our hippie days or whatever and you know we start grooving with it man those we were cool guys then we remember we were going to hell that's not cool sometimes we romanticize things that we should put in the past paul said forgetting the past we press on you know you gotta there's some things you need to forget and you just need to Let it go. But now there are some things you need to remember. You need to remember the goodness of the Lord. You need to remember your victories. Because if you don't, then the enemy will defeat you. And you have to remember, God's been good to me. Maybe you're under the worst attack you've ever had in your whole life. It's like, you know, you're just under it. You're in the middle of this battle. And you say, God, I... I can't do this. And God reminds you, you can do this. Because you're not by yourself. 
I'm right here with you. And you and me, we are a majority. And through Christ, in him, all things are possible to him that believes. And God encourages us. Amen? Listen, I, I, I just went through a, a battle, and, and uh, I remember just lying there one night and just, I mean, I didn't feel good, to be quite honest. I didn't feel good. But I remembered. I just started, the Lord just started saying, you remember. You remember what I did in 1988. You remember what I did in 1998. You remember what I did. And he started reminding me of the times where he saved my life. The times that he took me through when they said I couldn't do it. The things that he had done. He reminded me of, of even having my children when the doctor said I couldn't have children. He started reminding me, listen, they said that was impossible, but I did it for you. You've got to start remembering. Remembering. Years ago, uh, David, my husband, was preaching to us, and I remember the word of the Lord because I remember him waking up early one morning, and he said, this is the word of the Lord. He said, I, I heard it so strong. God said, celebrate your victories. Now, at that time, I'm telling you, there was things, we, you, you know, we just were having trouble finding some victories at that time. It was like some tough times. And he said, God said to him, celebrate your victories. So I remember, we're lying in bed. And he said, Brownie, we're going to celebrate our victories. Well, I wanted to say, what victories? Because <laughs> things looked tough at that time. But you know what? We started, I mean, the victory we got up this morning. Praise the Lord. The victory, we have food in the house. That's a victory. The victory. We started celebrating. And then when we would see answered prayer, we would just make a big deal about it. It wasn't just, well, I knew it was going to happen. No, we celebrated We'd celebrate. Now, we'd always kind of celebrated things like we just had some little quirky things we did when we first got married, you know. Uh, we had brought up some jalapeno peppers from the south. That's where you could buy them up here. We brought up some mesa flour. I made my own tortillas. That's where you could buy tortillas around here. And uh, so I'd fix those, and we'd fry them up. And if we preached real good on Sundays, Thursdays, We'd come home and say, we did good. We preached good today. And we'd make ourselves nachos. That was celebrating. It might not seem big to you, but for us, that was big because that's something we couldn't get all the time. And we would celebrate. Praise the Lord, the gospel was preached today. Praise the Lord, people got saved today. Praise the Lord, people got healed today. Amen. If you don't celebrate it, then you don't value it. You don't honor it. Amen? So when you leave church today, you need to celebrate what God did today. What did God do today? I believe that people were healed today as we were singing that song. I believe healing was... In fact, I asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? Because I could feel healing was in the house. And sometimes that means I'm supposed to come up and I'm supposed to lay hands on people. I asked the Lord. I, I could feel the healer was in the house. I could feel it. God, what do you want me to do? He said, I'm doing it while they're just in their seats. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The healer is in the house. Amen. So I need to leave church today and say, thank you, Jesus. People got healed today. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. John 16 Real familiar scripture for you. Verse 33. Now, in context, let me say, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he's talking about, you know, the things to come. He's talking to them about his death, his resurrection. He's talking to them about the spirit of Antichrist. He's, he's just preparing them. And he's, he knows that there's some tough times coming for them. He tells them he knows that. 
But he's trying to encourage them. Yeah, there's going to be some persecution. Yes, there's going to be some tribulation. You know, some people, they just think, well, you become a Christian and you'll never have another problem. I don't know where they get that. But it's not true. But the thing is, you'll still have problems, but you got an answer now. Amen? Everybody's going to have problems, but let me tell you, once you have Jesus in your heart, once you have him on your side, you're not fighting this by yourself. The greater one's in you. Amen? So praise the Lord, you win. So he says to the to them in verse 33 these things i've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace see now he's saying in him there's peace listen as much as the politicians try as much as they have the meetings as much as they do whatever they do they can't bring peace true peace only comes through jesus christ i can have peace when all around me is in unrest Amen? You can have peace because he says, in me you may have peace. He said, I've I've spoken to you so that in me you'll have peace. Because he's saying these things are going to come. There are some times I'm leaving. I'm going to be crucified. They don't want him to leave. They don't understand how's it going to be better if you go. You know, sometimes God tells us something and we just think, well, he must be mistaken because that's just not going to be true. (laughs) god says no it's going to be better i can't see how jesus looks pretty bad to me jesus he said it'll be better well don't you think they had that thought you're leaving you think that's good news jesus is saying i'm leaving but it's going to be good for you see we don't we don't see things the way god sees them so he's saying to them in me You may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Every person in here knows that you're going to have tribulation. (laughs) Tribulation. You know, one scripture says tribulation, work with patience. (laughs) Oh, I don't like that. Some people want patience, and they want it right now. How in the world will tribulation work patience? We'll just try tribulating for a while. (laughs) Now, tribulation without the Lord doesn't work patience. I, I, I don't know. I've had tribulation without the Lord and didn't help my patience any. Stirred up my anger, stirred up my frustration. But in the Lord... When I am in tribulation and I know that in him I have peace, then it works patience. Amen? So he says, take courage. Now, remember in Joshua 1, when, when uh, Joshua was supposed to go take the people of God into the promised land, remember Moses wasn't able to take them in, but Joshua was going to take them in. What did God keep telling Joshua? Be strong. And courageous, for I've given you the land. But he didn't say it one time. He said it several times that we know of. And he told Joshua, this word of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that your way may be prosperous. So he's saying, what's what's Joshua supposed to meditate on? To be strong and courageous. God's given us the land. Why is he going to have to meditate on that? Because there's enemies. There's opposing armies. There's tribulation. Isn't that true? There's trouble. There's trouble out there. But God has already given them the land. See, here's here's the deal. The land is the promised land. It's not the hope for land. It's not the maybe land. It's the promised land. And the Bible says the promises of God are what? Yes. 
and amen, so be it. So God is not taking them into maybe land. He's taking them into what is promised for them. But to get there, there's going to be some tribulation. There's going to be some obstacles. There's going to be some trouble. And if you don't know how to have courage and be bold in the face of trouble, you will be defeated. And it's not God's will. It's not his plan. His plan is for you to always have success. That you prosper in everything you set your hand to do. That's the will of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. God wants you to have good success. But how are you going to do it? You're going to have to do what he told Joshua. To be strong and courageous. You know, courage comes from the word for heart. Courage is like take heart. That means I give my heart to it. I strengthen my heart. Amen? Y'all look so serious. This is serious, but it's good news. Your, your heart has to be courageous. I mean, look, there's people in the world that are courageous, right? Some of them are stupid, but they're courageous, you know. But with the Lord, we're not stupid. We have the mind of Christ. We have courage. We can do what God calls us to do. We can, we can overcome everything the enemy throws our way. The Bible's clear on this, that we're supposed to defeat the enemy. Isn't that what it says? We're, we're, we're supposed to walk in victory. We are not supposed to have a testimony time and ten people get up and say, boy, the devil was at my house this week. Oh, man, the devil's been in my house or been in my family or the devil this, the devil that. No, no, we need to have testimony. We say, yes, the devil tried, but God gave us a victory. If you're going to talk about the devil, talk about him being defeated. Talk about him being conquered. Amen. Don't give him any place. I don't like to talk about the devil. Because he, he'll take bad talk. You know how a, a little child sometimes will be disobedient? And that sometimes they do that to get attention. You know, they, they just can't get any attention, so they just be disobedient. And they figure, bad, you know, any attention's okay. I might be getting a spanking, but they know I'm here. Well, that's pretty sad, isn't it? Sad. But the devil will take attention anyway he'll get it. So you don't need to give him any place. Don't talk about him. You know, just Jesus, Jesus put him in his place every time he was around. That's what we have to do. Let me read this to you, John 16, 33 in the Amplified. Maybe uh, Anita can put that up for us so that if you see it, it'll help you from just listening to it. You know, when you have, you have eye gates, you have ear gates, you know, when, when something comes through a couple of gates then you remember it better. So let's read this. Let's read it together. I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Amen? Bring it back that page right before that. I have deprived it of power to harm you. Jesus has done it for us. He has deprived the world, the enemy, of any power to harm us. He's taken away the power. Amen? The enemy is defeated. And if we get that in us, he is defeated. He is defeated. Then everything he has is defeated. Sickness is defeated. Poverty is defeated. 
Frustration is defeated. Depression is defeated. Addiction is defeated. It's all defeated. How come? Because he has deprived it of power. He said, be of good cheer. Listen, you, you need to be of good cheer. You need to cheer up. Because the enemy is defeated. The enemy is defeated. First John 4, 4, one of, one of the first scriptures I memorized when I got born again on Saturday. I learned this scripture Saturday of the, January the 18th, 1974. I, I made a sign, put it on my desk at the newspaper where I worked. I put it in my car because I needed it. First John 4, 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I needed to know that. Because I, I, had, I had not been an overcomer. I had been defeated in all kinds of ways. I was sick. I was poor. I was all kinds of stuff. Depressed. Suicidal. I needed to know that the greater one was in me. That I didn't have to do this. Because I was a baby Christian. I needed to know, I've I, I got to have help here. And I can't just pull around these people that led me to the Lord. They can't go with me everywhere I go. I've got to have some help. And God showed me this scripture. And I'm telling you, I, I had that in my mouth all the time. You know, trouble would come... There, you know, people would come to my desk and, you know, invite me to the party like I'd been at the party last weekend. I'm sure going to be at the party this weekend. And I'd say, no, nope, not doing it. But let me tell you what happened to me, and I'd start witnessing to them. Well, then they'd start reminding me, but you do this and you do that. Well, I did that last week, but I don't do that this week. Well, how come? Because God's in me now. That makes a big difference. Because really, in my flesh, I wasn't too different. Although God healed me as soon as I got, when I got born again, he healed me of a kidney disease that I didn't even, I didn't even ask to be healed. I just, I just got healed when I got born again. Went two weeks without realizing I hadn't had any medicine. Now, that's pretty interesting. I was just learning about God then. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't even ask and he healed me. Well, praise the Lord. The greater one is in us. And so if he's in us, then we are overcomers. Amen. See, we're, you're not an overcomer just because you're so big, you're so strong, you're so great. Get over yourself. I don't care how great, how smart, how big. I don't care how strong. You are nothing compared to the enemy's attacks, but the greater one is. The greater one is. And he's the one that defeats. So God said to me this morning, early, early, remember the goodness of the Lord. Remember. Remember what God's done. And I, I started just meditating on that. And, and of course... What comes to you sometimes is some of the great stories in the Bible. First Samuel 17 talks about a young man whose name was David. The least of all the brothers. The other brothers were going to be out, going out fighting the Philistines. They were great warriors. But little David was staying home with the sheep. His father had compassion on the brothers and said to David, you take this loaf, this cheese, this stuff, and go to your brothers. You know, take them a little package from home. And David went. Now, I don't have time to read this, because this you could preach this for weeks, 1 Samuel 17. But verse 31, let's look at 1 Samuel There's so much in this story that just 
helps us to understand. We all need a spirit like David, amen? David was called the friend of God, but he's also a mighty man. David and his mighty men, amen? So Goliath, let me just say, Goliath was, he was a huge guy. Huge. Big guy. He came out and he taunted. He taunted the Israelis, the Israel army. Now, it says that both armies went out in battle array to fight against each other. So the, the, the army of Israel went out, the army of the Philistines went out, and then the Philistines had this, like, secret weapon. Boom, 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 boom. This huge guy, his armor bearer was huge. His shield was huge. And the armies of Israel, they forgot they were the armies of Israel. They ran like little girls. They got scared. Well, now we can say, well, my, why would, well, can you imagine? In our, in our warfare today, you know, our army might be fighting and then the, Enemy army comes up with this weapon that we've never even seen that could wipe us out. Then you better know who your God is. <laughs> well, obviously, the army of Israel had kind of forgotten. This is what Goliath shouted at him in verse 8. I can imagine his voice must have just went all over that valley. Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you should become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When all when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were what? Dismayed and greatly afraid. Let me tell you, the, the enemy can shout some big things. And if your first reaction is fear, then you need to know, you need to recognize, well, that's a fear reaction, and I need to get past that. It's not a sin that fear comes. It's a sin if you keep the fear. Amen? Because perfect love casts out fear. We have not give, been given a spirit of fear, but of love and power and the sound mind, discipline mind. Now, David. David comes down. So David rose early, verse 20, in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. Jesse was his father. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. <laughs> Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Now David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke those same words, and David heard them. So when when Goliath was saying, you know, I'm going to kill him and you're going to serve us. Send me a man to fight me. David was there and he heard him. When all the men of Israel saw that man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's coming up? I bet they did say that. Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? I love that statement. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He didn't, he didn't acknowledge that he was huge. Didn't acknowledge that he was the biggest guy he'd ever seen in the, his whole life. 
His acknowledgement was, who is he? He's uncircumcised. He has no covenant. How dare him think he can defy the armies of the living God? David is just puzzled like, who is this? You need to think like that when the devil comes to attack you. Who do you think you are? I have a covenant. I'm blood bought. I belong to God. How dare you try and put sickness on me? How dare you try and take my money? How dare you try and take my children? How dare you? You need to talk back. You need to speak your faith. The people answered him in accord with this word, saying, This thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. Well, what if he had? He didn't know. He didn't. David was obeying his father. David didn't come down in insolence. David didn't come down in disobedience. David did what his father did, and he didn't leave the sheep untended either. By the way, we read that he left the sheep with somebody to keep them. But it's not Eliab's business, but he did. Some people think they need to know your business. Sometimes you need to say, it's none of your business. It's covered. Don't worry about it. We're cool. But David said, what have I done now? Was it not a question? He just said, I just asked a question. Why are you so upset? You know why he's upset? You know why Eliab's upset? Eliab's upset because he knows it's a truth. Why didn't they stand up against this uncircumcised Philistine? Why didn't they speak up? Why did they run in stark terror? Why? That's why. Let me tell you, when people... See you do something for God and they know they should be doing it. Conviction comes and a lot of times they'll turn against you. And start criticizing you. When really it's all in their own heart. It's in their heart and they know I should have done that. But, but they, they, Because conviction comes, then they back up and they attack you. Well... What's your choice? Your choice is to keep on doing what you know to do. Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. The people answered the same as before. Oh, brother. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Here's a young man. He's probably about 17 years old, they say. He stands up and says, don't be afraid. What's the big deal? He's talking to the king. The king, we read, was afraid too. (laughs) Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. In other words, I got it covered, Mr. Saul. No sweat. We got this thing handled. What do you think Saul's thinking? Who's this little whippersnipper here? He's just a kid. I'm the king. He's probably embarrassed too that he was afraid. He's the king. Then Paul said to David, you are not able. He tells him, the king says you're not able to go up against this Philistine. You're just a kid. To fight with him, for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. Listen, do we see that that makes a difference? No, with God, all things are possible. I don't care if you're two years old or a hundred years old. It's not based on your youth or your age or whatever. It's based on faith. 
Amen? <clears throat> but David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him. And I attacked him. <laughs> this guy doesn't run from the lion or the bear. He goes and he runs after them to attack them. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs> this is not natural. Natural people don't. Ch now, my husband chased bears. And he taught my children to do it, too. And I stayed in the car and prayed in tongues. But he just thought, i got to get a good shot. And I don't want just the rear end. I need to go get it. So he would go chase that bear and the cubs, and there would go Liberty and Jonathan right behind him. And then Matthew, when he came, I'm at the car going, don't do that. So I'm not suggesting that you do this. But you know why David, he didn't chase him just to prove, like, look at me. No, they had his property. They had his sheep. He said, you're not getting the sheep. You're not going to do that. Listen, when you get that attitude, devil, you're not getting it. I'm coming after you, buddy. Then he's going to learn that you mean business. He's going to learn don't mess with you. Because he's, he's going to rip his britches. He's going to overdo it. And then he's going to get beat up. Brother John Osteen great man of God. He's in heaven now. Brother John, he, uh, he was a Southern Baptist preacher, got filled with the Holy Ghost, got kicked out of his denomination. But he had, I think he had four or five children. I can't remember how many he had. But anyway, had quite a few children. And he would go out to preach, and every time he went out, his kids would get sick. Like every time he went to preach somewhere, the kids got sick. And one day he got this revelation. Devil is coming to make my kids sick so I won't go preach. So he got his wife and his kids and they marched around their property and they spoke the word. He took authority, said, no, you're not coming. You're not coming to my house. You're not going to come in and put sickness on my kids. You're not going to do that. I'm going to preach the gospel. You're not going to do this. <laughs> And he said, that, he said he just imagined that one, that one day the devil and some little demons were walking down their street. Little demons said, hey, let's go into that house. Let's put sickness in that house. And he said, the devil said, oh, no, little darling. He'll beat you up. Don't go in that house. Well, I don't know if that's true, but I do know that they got the victory and he's, the kids quit getting sick every time he went out to pray because he found out, I have an enemy, he's, he, it's him. And I'm going to take authority before I leave. I'm going to pray over my house. I'm going to pray over my kids. I'm going to pray over my wife. And I will preach the gospel and the devil won't stop me. And see, the devil will try anything to keep you from preaching the gospel. The devil will try anything from preaching getting you to live a successful life. But you have authority. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. The greater one is in you. Be of good cheer. So David says, I attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. <laughs> Wham! Who does that? Somebody that just says, I've had enough. I've had enough. When you have had enough of the devil taking and stealing from you, you're going to rise up and fight. Or you're going to die. You can lay down and die, or you can rise up and fight. But at some point, you have to say, enough is enough. Where's the enemy been stealing from you? It could be in health. It could be in finances. It could be in relationships. It could be with your children 
or your parents. could be in any of those areas. But at some point, you have to rise up and say, that's it. I'm attacking you before you attack me. I'm coming against you before you come against me. And you are not taking me. You're not taking my stuff. That's it. See, he's already, to him, what is this uncircumcised Philistine? Because he's already chased and caught a lion and held it by its beard and beat it to death. He's already caught a bear and beat it to death. <laughs> he's, it's like, so what's that? It's just a big talker is what he is. He's big, and he talks big, but he's nothing compared to the anointing of God. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, uh, go, and may the Lord be with you. <laughs> we know the story. David went out. Saul wanted him to wear his armor. David said, that I, I, hey, I didn't fight that lion and that bear with armor. I, ha- I fought that, fought them. But I didn't, have a, I didn't have your armor, and it doesn't fit me, and I don't want to do it. Like I said, that's, we could preach a long time on all this, but he took five stones. And he took one stone, and he wound that dude up and threw it. It hit Goliath right here, killed him instantly. He went and cut off his head with, his own, with Goliath's own sword, cut it off. Because he didn't have a sword, remember? He just had a slingshot. Why? Because with the anointing of God, with the power of God, you don't need great weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. They're mighty. Amen? He killed that uncircumcised Philistine. He won the battle. We know the story. And God made him king of Israel. God needed somebody that wasn't afraid of the enemy. God's looking for people today that aren't afraid of the enemy. He's looking for people who can stand up and say, Not today, Mr. Devil. Not my house. Not my family. Not my church. Not my city. Not my nation. Nope. No, we have authority. Another time that there was there was a time... Like I'm saying, God is saying, remember. So David had to remember the victory he had with the lion and the bear. He had to remember that, right? That gave him courage in the day that he needed to stand against Goliath. What your past victories will give you courage. And so, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was, you know, he went back to build the the wall in Jerusalem. He went back to build the wall. It was torn down. And he wanted to do it for God. He's, he, he had a purpose. And he brought the people of God together to build the wall. But there were some people, there were three guys that were always taunting him. Let's read in Nehemiah 2, verse 19. If you think you're going to do something for God and everybody's just going to go yay, yay, yay you haven't done a whole lot for God because there's going to be opposition. But here's the cool thing. They don't have a right to it. When Sabalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Now, they weren't rebelling against the king. The king's the one that gave Nehemiah help to do this. There wasn't rebellion in their heart. There again, you don't have to give a reason to the people who are mocking. 
to scoffers, you don't have to explain. You stand in the righteousness of God. Amen. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you, you three guys, have no portion, no right, or no memorial in Jerusalem. This is what we have to say to the enemy. You have no portion. There's nothing I have that you can have. You can't give any part of me. There's no portion of my life and the things that God's given me. You can't have any of it. You can't have my money. You can't have my health. You can't have my family. You can't have. You can't have it, devil, because Jesus has redeemed me. So you have no portion. You have no right to me. You have no right. Now, if you open up a door, if you if God has is, is told you to do something and you choose to be rebellious and you don't do it, then you've opened up a door and there is a right. So I'm talking about living for God, doing what God says. He has no right. And if you have opened a door, that's not the end of the world. All you got to do is go to Jesus and say, I'm sorry. Ask for him to forgive you and that door will be shut. This is not a hard thing. God's not trying to punish you. He's trying to help you. He'll help you shut that door. So he says you have no right, no portion, or no memorial. Now, why did he say that? Well, we know if you read in the Old Testament, there was there were memorial offerings or memorial feasts. God was into memorials. Why? For one thing, there wasn't a written document. And so they had to pass on things to their children. And so they made memorials where God did stuff. So that it so that it was clear this is where God did this. Amen. There's memorials. Remember uh, in Acts 10, Cornelius, the first Gentile to get saved and his family. Remember, he didn't even have a covenant with God, but the Bible says. God said to Cornelius, your prayers and your alms or your money have gone up. He was giving money to the church, to the Jewish church, synagogue. He was praying. He had no covenant. And he was still being, doing good stuff. And God says, that's come up as a memorial. In other words, God says, I have a memorial in heaven of you. Do you know God's got memorials of you in heaven? There's memorials that, were, that says this is when I get, when we get to heaven. I believe there'll be times where we'll see, we'll walk the streets and there'll be a memorial. What is that? Well, that's when this happened and this person did that. But we have to be like uh, Nehemiah was when the enemy comes in to, to taunt us, to discourage us. We have to tell him you have. You don't have any memorial. He'll try to make a memorial. He'll remind you of where you failed. Anybody had a reminders from the enemy? Well, you made, you messed up there. And he'll try to build a memorial. So every time you start to believe God in that, he'll remind you, oh, yeah, last time you tried that, you messed up royally. You have to tell him there's no memorial to that. It's under the blood. There's no memorial built for my failures. There's no memorial built for where I missed it because it's under the blood. If it's under the blood, it is forgotten. There can't be a memorial for something that's forgotten. Amen? There is no memorial. So the devil tries to put up memorials. He'll try to, I'm telling you, you could be my age, and he'll remind you of something you did in your youth and try to make you feel guilty for it. And you have to say, that is under the blood. God has forgiven me. How dare you bring it up? You have no right to do that. You have no memorial. I am not making a memorial of it. If we give attention to it, if we give our mind to it, if we start thinking on it, then we start building on that memorial. It's a wrong memorial. Don't build a memorial to your failures. Don't build a memorial to what you should have done or could have done. It's under the blood. In Joshua 4, remember this, when they were crossing the Jordan? 
Joshua 4, verse 1. Now, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourself twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourself twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm. Remember, the priests were standing in the middle of the river Jordan. Now, this is after they crossed the Red Sea. Now they're crossing the river Jordan. And God does the very same thing. He separates the waters they go across on dry ground. But the priests had to go in first. So the priests stood in the middle of the Jordan. And while they're standing there, God says to Joshua, you take one man out of each tribe. There's 12 tribes of Israel. You take one man and tell each one of them to get a stone. And take that stone and go across and build a memorial across the river. Let's read it here. Take up for yourself 12 stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the 12 men who he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. So there is a memorial to what God has done so that you tell your children, and your children's children. You know, parents, you need to tell your children what God has done in your life. Don't assume they know it. Sit them down. Say, let me tell you what God did. You need to remind. You know, it only it, it reminds them, but it reminds you. This is what God did. Maybe you're in a tough time right now, and you have to remind those children, look. This isn't the first time we've been in a pickle. But God can get us out. Because I remember when he did it before. Amen? I remember. I remember when we didn't have enough meat to feed all the ministers that had come to our little house in Loon Lake. And we had counted out the patties. And we were had one hamburger patty, which was really moose meat, for each person. We had counted out. Nobody was going to get double burgers that day, one apiece. And then extra preachers showed up. I remember going to David and saying, David, we only have this many and we have this many people. And he and I praying, and we put the meat on the, the we knew exactly how many we had. We put the meat on the grill. And I'm telling you, he kept flipping burgers, and we had enough for everybody. God multiplied. I remember the time when we had a little moose roast just this big, this big. Sunday, we came to preach in Lloydminster. We went home, and we drove up, and there was a car full of of First Nations people from another reserve. And one of them we knew, man, he was a big eater. He'd been at our house before. And... uh, so I looked at David and said, you know, it was Loon Lake. You couldn't just run to the store and buy something. There was nothing open. I said, David, I only have like a half a loaf of bread and that little piece of roast that we had left. It wasn't, we'd been eating on it for days. I just have that little piece of roast. I said, we got to pray. We got to believe God. So we did. We prayed over that piece of roast. And I tell you the truth, we kept slicing. And slicing, and we made sandwich after sandwich. The bread multiplied and the roast multiplied. And when we got through, we still had that same size roast. You got to rehearse those things. You got to remember God did that. We didn't have the money, but even if we'd had the money, it was sort of like when Jesus had to feed the people, there wasn't a place to go buy that much food. Well, even if we'd had the money, There was nothing open in Loon Lake on a Sunday afternoon. Zero. Yet God wanted us to be hospitable. We could have said, I'm sorry, we don't have enough food to feed you. 
but know it was greater to use your faith. And say, either God does it. Now, granted, let me tell you, you know, that there was always this thought, well, we won't eat. You know how you are when you got company? Well, we'll feed them and we won't eat. But God had enough for all of us. He's not like that. That's unbelief. I don't know why you think God can multiply, and I'm talking to myself. I don't know why I thought God could multiply everything, but then I shouldn't eat. But you need to have a remembrance and remember what God's remember. And when, especially in the times when it's tough, then you and your husband or you and your wife or you and your children get together and say, you know what? We're going to believe God. We, we got to believe God here. And then remind yourself, listen, this isn't the first time we've had to believe God. I remember this time we believed God. Remind yourself, he came through. God's never let us down. God's never failed us. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. There's been times where we had no pay, paycheck. There's been times where there was no money in the bank. But I tell you, we never went hungry. We never did without. Because God was faithful. God's faithful. His faithfulness is always available. God will take care of you. You're an overcomer. Remember what God has done for you. I'm telling you, it's a time, church, that we, don't, we cannot let what we see with our eyes or hear with our ears determine how much faith we have or don't have. Because if you do, then you're only moved by circumstances. You're not moved by faith. We are going to have to set our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we cannot look. And if things start to distract us, let me tell you, things are always going to be there to distract you. No matter what you're believing God for, there will always be a distraction because that's the enemy. He will always bring something to cause your focus to leave. But you need to be aware that you cannot afford that. We are in the last days. We, we have an assignment from God, and we're going to finish our assignment. We are not going to come up short. We're not going to fail because the greater one is in us. Hallelujah. I'm excited because I think the enemy has just overstepped. I think he's given it his best shot. And he thinks, well, this will really discourage him. If you've been discouraged in the last little while, I've come here to encourage you. To say, take courage. Be strong. I've been discouraged. But praise God, I had somebody that came to encourage me. That's what we're here for. Amen. When one is weak, we lift that one up. We have to be the people of God. We cannot be in our own little world and say, just let me be. No, you have to stretch out. You have to open your arms. You have to invite the people to be encouraged and strengthened with your strength. Amen? And the great thing about it, it's it's the law of sowing and reaping. As you give out to encourage somebody else, you'll be encouraged. If you sow strength into someone, you'll be strengthened. It's just God's gift. It's the way God does things. Hallelujah. Let's close with 1 John 5, 4. First John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is a victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. Our faith. You are not going to be an overcomer without faith. You're not going to please God without faith. But how are you going to get faith? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing. By the word of Christ. Faith comes. So get faith. 
Get faith. We read in 1 Corinthians 13 about, you know, you can do all these things, but without love, they're nothing. But the last verse of 1 Corinthians 13 says, Now abides these three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But these three, he said, when all else is done, all else is through. There's going to be three things they are going to abide. Faith. Remember Jesus said when the, when the <clears throat> Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? Why did he say that? Because there's going to be a lot of people that will turn away from the faith in the last days. But we can't be of those people. We're not going to turn away from faith. When he comes, will he find faith? Well, I heard somebody say, yes, he will. Well, praise the Lord, he will. Faith, hope. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, 1, that now faith is the things, the substance of things hoped for. You've got to have hope to have faith. And hope will abide. Listen, you know, it's not wrong to say, well, I hope so. But let that hope be turned to faith. Because faith becomes that substance of what that... The hope has no substance without faith. But you put faith with that hope, you've got something. You've got a title deed. You've got substance. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And love will help you overcome every obstacle. If we walk in love, then... The things that seem to be hard will not be so hard. If I love God, then it's not hard for me to read his word. It's not hard for me to be in church. It's not hard for me to serve him. It's not hard for me to love the brethren if I love God. But if I, if I have to build myself up in love, then that's what I need to do. Amen? Check your love level. Amen? Because the enemy will try to get you out of love as soon as you decide to walk in love. <laughs> you ever made the decision, I'm going to walk in love, and then I'm telling you somebody says something ugly about you immediately. Oh. 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 I'm going to walk in love. But I sure want to hit them. In love. We are overcomers. We are more than victorious. We cannot be defeated. And we will not quit. The enemy's been defeated. The enemy's been defeated. The enemy has been defeated. And Jesus has won the battle. Amen. Praise the Lord. Stand to your feet this morning.